0: Welcome to The Sword in the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Hey, thanks for listening to The Sword in the Trial today. A big thank you to our fan members. We are so grateful for those of you who are a part of the Founders Alliance membership. These are people that support us on a monthly basis. You can find out more at founders.org. We've got the armory. We're stacking up content in there. We've got content for days. We've got some content logged up because Founders Ministries has been around so long turns you gray.
1: That's right. We're trying to figure out how to get from real to real to uh, MP3. That's right.
0: That's <laughs> right. There is some great data. Hannah, what's coming next in the armory? She doesn't know. Maybe By What Standard, she doesn't know. She's got so much content to pull from. She's just going to be pumping something awesome in there. We've
1: been putting these interviews uh, that we took for By What Standard that didn't make it into the actual documentary. Uh And so on some of the interviews, portions of them did, but we didn't use everything that any one person did. And, man, there was a lot of gold left on the cutting room floor. And so uh, those are going up, and then uh, even some interviews that – People didn't want to be a part of the documentary. We were putting those up as well.
0: That's right. That's right. And you get access to the Armory by joining the fam. Go to founders.org to find out more about that. Um, you tweeted an article from the Washington Times, and I clicked on it and was so gripped by it. We just wanted to talk about it. It by Everett Piper. Yeah. And uh, I don't think there's any relationship to John Piper.
1: No, no, no. He's uh, just recently re- retired from being the president of Oklahoma Wesleyan College, I think it is, but he is a columnist for the Times, and Mm -hmm. he's written uh, at least one book, and maybe others as well that I'm just not familiar with, but been a a voice of sanity Mm. on a lot of issues regarding education and culture, and this particular article came out just a couple of days ago, and the title of it is, Greatest Threat America Faces During COVID-19 Pandemic Is boy, I would love to hear what other people put in that blank. Yep. But his answer is loss of Liberty,
0: loss of Liberty. And he's got this little quote, uh, I fear death. So take my Liberty. Yeah, And he really goes in here, and I was encouraged, challenged by this article and thought, man, I hope that people can read this and remember some truths about Christianity. I read uh, oh. C.S. Lewis to the kids a lot, and there's this great scene uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia where I think it's Lucy. She's talking to the beaver, and she's discovering that Aslan is a lion. She's <laughs> like, oh, he's a lion. Uh, is he quite safe? And uh, the beaver says, oh, safe. <laughs> well, no, he's not safe. Uh, he is good. And I was thinking about the parallels. You know, it's true. This is true of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is not safe. Uh, you're you're going to read Scripture in vain if you look for something that says that Jesus is safe. Well, do you become Christ-like? I and mean, this would be a wonderful way to spin on some of the stuff that we have, you know, kind of in modern evangelicalism now, to be Christ-like is to, I don't know, just to be quiet and to like hand out cups of water. That's about it. Mm -hmm. If you're doing anything else, you're not Christ-like. Well, Lewis tapped into something right there with Aslan. Uh, No, Jesus is not safe, but he is good. And Christians in Christ, they too are not safe. Safety is not the ultimate ideal for the Christian. That's what Piper gets to here in this article. And it's actually quite dangerous if safety does become your ideal.
1: Yeah, the Christian life is... Not safe, but it is good. Uh, God promises goodness to us. He's given us everything that we need for this life and the life to come. Uh, every blessing in heavenly places already belongs to us in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so often we live our lives based on safety, you know, what What will keep us safe. And we try to mitigate risks, which is exactly opposite of what we see in the Bible. And we just see God's people living by faith. Mm-hmm. And it's risky, I mean, why would Abraham give up his homeland and go to a country he didn't know? Why would Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, die daily and wrestle with wild beasts in Mm -hmm. Ephesus? He's Mm -hmm. talking about people, not talking about four-legged creatures, but two-legged creatures that were trying to kill him. And he said, why why would I do this? If if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, then let's eat, drink, because tomorrow we die. In other words, Mm -hmm. let's live a safe life. But no, he can risk everything because... God raises the dead, and we lose that. I mean, we've lost that idea in our day.
0: It's all over the scripture. Why would Moses go and face Pharaoh if uh, his ultimate goal was to be safe? Why would Joshua go into the promised land to conquer uh, if his ultimate goal was to be safe? Why in the world would Esther go before King Ahasuerus if her ultimate goal was to be was to be saved? Why would Mordecai uh, do what he did if he was just trying to make sure that he didn't get killed by Haman? Why would our Lord and Savior go to the cross if his ultimate goal was to be saved? The whole Christian life is about this. The, the way of death is the way of living. You lose your life in this world that you might save it. Right. And this truth, you know, we we have to by God's grace, go from the place that we know this truth, we know these verses, we see these truths. What does it mean for us right now in the midst of what's going on with this um, COVID-19? I mean, uh, Piper gets into that here in his article. Uh, but essentially he's saying, uh, get back to work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> I, I think as we evaluate, here's what I find missing in the evaluations of what to do and how to respond to what's being said to us and counsel and executive orders, everything else, that, that Christians seem to be responding and thinking about these things absent this fundamental reality that there is a world to come mm-hmm. and that we have a, a life beyond death, beyond the grave. Paul said in Acts twenty twenty four, he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, last time he'll ever see them. He says, I don't count my life dear, precious to myself. He said, mm-hmm. I, I have one goal. That is that I might finish my course, my ministry with joy. Mm-hmm. I want to finish. You know, so I, if I die, I die. We, in the next chapter, people are begging him not to go to Jerusalem because Agabus tells him he's going to be killed there and he's going to be bound there rather. And, and Paul says, look, I'm, I'm willing to be not only bound, but to die for the sake of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, if we if we have that mentality, then these fears that are thrown over us in talking about COVID-19 have no power over us. And we can look at them more objectively in the light of Scripture and be wiser in the courses that we chart to try to follow.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think um, eschatology is big here because I grew up kind of in a way of thinking that was like we thought a lot about heaven. So there was no diminishing heaven. You know, I just grew up singing songs about heaven. We all get a wonderful heaven. place. The day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We'll sing and shout to victory. You know, we're going to cross Jordan, stormy banks and all of that. But what was missing was like the eschatology now part. Like what what are we yeah, here to do? That's right. So if you're here in the midst of COVID and you you totally get heaven, you're like, I get heaven. It's just and and I'm ready to go when Jesus comes back, or I'm ready to go when when it's time for me to go. But I do like my life. And I like heaven too, but I like my life now. So I'm kind of, kind of try to hold on to it. I'm going to try to stay here. I mean, I'll go there when it's time. Yeah. But so, what's missing is like, what are you supposed to be doing right While now? You're here. What are you doing right now? And again, you got to go back to the garden. and Say, what did, what did, what did God tell Adam to do? Well, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, exercise dominion, and then we see that brought uh, again, uh, emphasized again. Uh, in the new covenant by the Lord Jesus Christ, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. So that, those are your marching orders, and that has implications for your whole life. You, you don't COVID doesn't make you stop that. You, you can't stop that. And doing that is going to you're going to die. You're going to die doing that. Like look at the book of Acts. This is what happened. They went somewhere. They did what God told them to do and they died. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're missing like the what we're supposed to do right now. And then we're still dealing with the the a lack of that reformation doctrine priest of all believers. Because I think people still think, okay, well, so yeah, we're supposed to preach and we're supposed to teach people to obey Jesus and we can do all that on the internet. And the pastor can do that. But what about me as a as a normal everyday worker or me as a homemaker mm. or me as an educator or whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, we're missing the connection between all of that vocation and the great commission. And then all the way back to the cultural mandate that we receive in the beginning. I, I do think COVID is exposing a, a, that something's missing there. So Piper says this in the, uh, in the article He's, He quotes an old saying that says a ship is safe in the Harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Yeah, And just that simple truth that you really do have a purpose that you have to fulfill and that's going to include you facing death.
1: Yeah. And again, I think it goes back to, we have, um, we've been so blessed by God so long in so many ways in this culture, in this nation that we have come to presume upon his grace and his goodness. And we have forgotten what we are really here for. We've forgotten that, yeah, every one of us is called. You know, the, the idea of vocation, you mentioned priests of the believers, but the doctrine of vocation, equally important coming out of the Reformation, that if you're a plumber, if you're a carpenter, if you're a housewife, if you're a student, whatever it is, God has called you to represent him as an image bearer, and in Christ Jesus as one of his redeemed that points to the gospel by the light of your life, by mm-hmm. your, your word and your testimony. And so we've lost sight of that, and we've lost sight of the fact that, man, as Whitfield once said, that every man is immortal until his work is done. Our lives are in God's hands. It, one of the things that frustrates me about how some of our supposedly trusted voices in the Christian world are talking about COVID-19 it's as if they're they're forgetting God. It's just as if they're they're trying to deal with this in secondary categories rather than primary categories, and that they they are unwilling or have been thus far not very loud and vocal in saying God has done this. You know, God. Th- this is God's voice in the city, according to Amos. Uh, this is the lion roaring. Uh, the, the the virus has come because. Of God, so yes, let's look at secondary court, uh, causes. Let's deal with the epidemiology and listen to the experts and all these other things, but let's not forget God, man. If if the church is not going to speak for God and think of this in the light of who God is and what God has done and what God's revealed to us in the Scripture and the fact that He is the God who raises the dead, who is nobody is. And if until we get that more firmly under our feet, until that orients our thinking more readily, I fear that we're going to be easily manipulated out of calls for safety. You got to be safe. And if you do this, it's not safe. And if you don't stay in your home, if you don't do this, then uh, we've got to cut back to only essential businesses and essential activities. And church isn't essential. Oh yeah, it's essential, but you can just do it a different way Mm -hmm. as if we don't have a book. Mm -hmm. That's my fear.
0: Let's take it a layer down, for folks. So um, this is the the place that nobody wants to go. Nobody actually wants to face up to kind of where we're at and what's going on. So a bit of an analysis of even, say, America or Florida, our own experience here in the light of COVID. Um, Here, the greatest threat to America America faces is the loss of liberty. Uh, I keep telling people that COVID... I don't I don't think COVID has so much started things as it's revealed where sure. we're at. Yeah. So as you look around right now, where are we at when it comes to liberty, courage, understanding of um, what God has called us to do in the world, given the dynamics right now and what's happened
1: from yeah. COVID? Well, I think uh, we have been exposed and that uh, a lot of the evangelicalism that is current in the United States at least, is being exposed as rather superficial because of the facile way that so many uh, Christian leaders uh, have responded to this. I mean, I see threats to religious liberty almost everywhere I look, and yet those trusted voices who should be on the wall saying, here's a threat, stand against it, they're just saying, look, it's, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I'm thinking specifically of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, they they have been almost mute, not completely, but they 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 have not spoken very loudly, and in my estimation, not very well on the threats to religious liberty. I love what Piper says in this argument uh, in in this article. He says this: while governors across the nation fall over themselves to break their oath of office, by which he means not upholding the Constitution of the United States. and mm-hmm. He's talking specifically about the First Amendment. The church remains quiet while one mayor after another assumes unilateral power. Pastors across the spectrum of denominations shame rather than applaud those who resist such demagogic arrogance. That's, I think he's nailed it there. And if Everett Piper is right, then these supposed trusted sources that are saying, look, we just got to learn to do church differently. Just get used to this. It's okay. Online is as good as real. We can do these things. And just pipe down, stay in your homes, practice social distancing, do whatever the government tells you to do because Romans 13. If Piper's right, these guys are wrong. And I think Piper is right. And I think Christians, we've got to wake up. I'm I'm not calling for anarchy. The Bible hates anarchy. And we are a people of law. God's given us his law. By his grace, we live in a country that is a constitutional republic. And so the highest authority of the land, when we're thinking Romans 13, it's not the president, it's not the Supreme Court, it's not Congress, it's the Constitution Mm -hmm. of the United States. And yes, we are to be submissive to that. And if we have lesser magistrates than the Constitution trying to do that, which violates the Constitution, then I think as Christian freemen, we need to stand up and speak out. And I see very little of that taking place from sectors that we have reason to expect them to speak out on these issues yeah
0: and there's a lot of reasons i mean there's so many different temptations one is that you have to be an expert you have to be an epidemiologist in order to make any kind of judgment when it comes to these things but if you back up and look at the data i mean we looked we and i think then people go well I'm i'm not gonna Call the church to meet because you know um, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe it warrants. Uh, I, my position is that I think there are rare circumstances, certain circumstances, sure. active shooter, um, plague, war, certain circumstances Fire, where the civil hurricanes. magistrate could come in and temporarily um, um, call for the church not to assemble,
1: as well I mean, as Walmart.
0: Yeah, and the churches still have their authority. The elders of that church still have the authority to call the congregation together. They're not relinquishing anything. You're dealing with different spheres of authority. But so you've got to start there. The question then becomes is this a legitimate use of their authority or not? So mm-hmm. if it's like active shooter uh, this Sunday, there's an active shooter, dismiss, so you dismiss and then they, nothing happens. And then next week it's an active shooter again. And you, okay, so we dismiss again, but nothing happens again. It's going to be a potential active shooter every week, but nothing's happening. So you have to be able to assess COVID. Right now in Florida, there's right around 700. Something uh, deaths, according to the CDC, that have occurred in Florida from COVID nineteen. Uh, every year, at least the last few years, there have been three thousand deaths from the influenza. I looked up uh, recently and saw that in two thousand seventeen, I think it is. There's like seventeen or eighteen thousand people die died that year because of accidents, according to the CDC. Then
1: we need to shelter at home.
0: Seventeen thousand people. I mean, the data points are important because you don't have to be an expert. You just have to understand what's going on, and you have to understand we are we do we we follow the camera man. We do what people point they point to somewhere, and then we all start. Just think of the main data points. If it's true that there's seventeen thousand people that have died by accident in one year. And if it's also true that so far 700 people in Florida have died of COVID and the projections that I've looked at, it was up at like 4,000, but now it's down to like 1,000. You have to deal with that. That means as an individual, you're more likely to die. From by accident than you are by COVID right now. And people don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear me say that. The HMIE model or something, something like with that, four letters. It was, it's been cited by the federal uh, news brief multiple times. I think they had the deaths at like, the peak was like 42 deaths a day. And I ran some stats. I said, well, okay, this is the peak according to this model. Now, who knows what's really going to happen? But according to this model, let's take 42 and then multiply it by 365. I didn't come – still didn't come anywhere near the deaths by accident in one year. Right. Which would mean mm-hmm. even at its peak. Now, you take in your dynamics for elderly and all of that. But – and then step back and just think about what's happening in the way that stores are operating, the way that people aren't going to stores and people are walking around – there's going to have to be a good rationale given for the shelter-in-place. And I mean a good rationale. Now, you can get on Twitter and write a screed about what I just said, and I'm still going to come back and say, so far we've had 700 people die in Florida. I know it hasn't been a year yet. I'm looking at the projections. We've had 700 people die. We've had 17,000 people die from accidents, according to the CDC. We have about 30,000-something people die from the flu. At least from the stats that I'm looking at, it certainly looks like the, that COVID has a likelihood of being far more deadly than the flu. So I'm not, again, I'm not sitting here saying it's just the flu and the death rate is the same at all. Uh, but I'm trying to help people. You have to look. See, you can even feel the tension. When I bring those stats, like people, you can hear the people don't want you to stop it. Don't right. cite that. <clears throat> Well, you have to cite that in order to actually get to application with this whole article that we're talking about. Because we're not saying you just go out there and holler, give me liberty and give me death and go look a poll if it's the Black Plague. You don't do that. So you have to at some point come down to important statistics. And I think in the midst of all the important statistics, one important statistic is that about 700 people in Florida have died from COVID. That's a remarkably important statistic in my estimation. And we need to compare that to other ways of dying, and then we need to think about the implications. I'm not saying those are the only data points, but if you look at those data points, I'm trying to say, okay, the argument for continuing to shelter in place is becoming harder and harder to make for me when I look at those stats.
1: Yeah, well, I think the way we can frame the the question for folks is, okay, what would it take in order for us to do this again? What has it taken for us to do this and what would it take for us to do this again? Take COVID nineteen, take the flu, take respiratory illness mm-hmm. off the table, and just say what other uh, issue—car accidents, uh, household accidents—you know what else? Sunburns. I mean, what 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 is the level that we say once you hit here, then we trip into these type of extreme measures, yep. and. You start forcing people to think about that, and it will shed light on what's happened to us over the last six weeks.
0: Yeah. And liberty of conscience here. So, I mean, my goodness, if you're elderly and all this, don't hear me saying, you know, shame on you for staying in your house. I'm not saying that. But I do want to shepherd these people. Uh, we love our flock and I want them to look at the data and think through why they're making the decisions they're making, why we're operating the way that we're operating. Uh, you're right. at We're all none of us. We don't have a death wish. I mean, I was telling you before, I've got a little newborn baby. I do not want her uh, to die. And yet I know she's going to die. I want her to die well. These are some of the foundations for me as I'm going into thinking about this situation. And right now the threat level seems to be very, very low. It, I'm not saying that there's not a virus. I'm not saying that the virus hasn't killed people. I think it was at about 40,000, I think about 40,000 deaths in the United States from COVID so far. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things to watch out for is this um you can hear some people say, well, what would have happened if we didn't, it wouldn't be at 700 if we didn't Uh, just understand what that play is. Uh, Number one, in a materialistic world where you control everything, where man is God and everything works in a test tube, then you can say, well, look, we did this and this was exactly the result, but supernaturalists don't get to do that. So if you're Christian, if somebody says that you can, you can guess about what would have happened, but you don't know what would have happened because of what you did. And so, That's just dangerous because you can keep running that play again and again and again.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And that's happening to us. And so we're, uh, I think, subtly and yet very effectively being moved into a way of thinking and a way of living that doesn't take the Bible as seriously as we ought to take it. So what should churches do? What should pastors do in this time? Well, I think we ought to be respectful of our civil authorities. We give honor to whom honor is due. We render to Caesar that which is Caesar but we also render to God that which is God's. And God is the Lord of our conscience. And so whenever we have any civil authority or other authorities telling us that we cannot worship together and that it's okay because you have uh, mechanisms whereby you can worship online or you can do things that satisfy a level of uh, personal need and desire over the internet in a way that you don't have to do in person. And we buy into that, and we accept that simply for expediency's sake. We are being led away from thinking biblically. And man, I, I see this happening all the time. There's a, a judge that just made a ruling last week, I think it was, in New Mexico, when a, a church filed an injunction against an executive order from the governor about not being able to meet. And uh, reading his ruling was frightening to me. Because he said, "Look, the state has granted you as a church special privileges because we shut down theaters when we didn't shut you guys down because we realized religion's important to some people." And I'm about to just pull my hair out reading this, thinking, "Well, no, there's a First Amendment that speaks to churches; it doesn't speak to theaters." And it's you know the mm-hmm. the idea that this is uh, uh, something that the the government is granting us, and now they're going to take it back for a while because we think it's wise to take it back. As Christians, we say, no, we have a higher authority. We respect civil mm-hmm. government because God ordains civil government. Right. And we are under God. And yes, yes, we want to listen. We want to honor. We want to be wise. We want to be good neighbors. We want to love people. And we will do that but we're not going to simply jump every time somebody speaks to us from a position of authority because they're in a the position of authority. Yeah.
0: And you know, one way I've been thinking about this, especially with Florida, because Florida's set up interesting. There's a lot of states. You know, I've got pastor friends in other states, and their governors have said they can't meet. Right. Very clearly, they right. can't meet. In Florida, our situation's different. Our, our governor has said that we can meet. And there's two ways this works. I, I do think we need to watch out for government encroachment into the religious realm. We actually, we absolutely have to watch out for that. And another way to think and to see is that usually what happens in the church flows out to the world. It flows out to the government. And so, in one sense, well, the government is overreaching and taking these rights because the church isn't exercising right. these rights. Oh, that's right. And the, well. Church, if you're not going to live as if God gave you the rights to do this, then we'll take them away and we'll consider that we gave them to you. What I mean by that is while Governor DeSantis of Florida has said that churches can continue to meet, they're, they're an essential activity according to the uh, order, I don't think they are. I, I, I think if you were to survey the vast amount of churches in Florida, they've done the same thing, they've done the same kind of virtual thing that – these other states have. And that's that's fascinating to me. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be safe. I'm not right. saying they shouldn't exercise precaution. I'm not saying if you've done uh, internet church that that's a bad thing. But I'm. it will be interesting to watch how churches in a state where the government has not overreached goes back to meeting. And churches in a state where the government has actually legislated that they can't or ordered that they can't, how they'll go back to meeting. And I wonder if they'll if they'll be on the same trajectory. So one of the things I'm concerned about is that we live in such a way that the government actually doesn't have to order anything. We're back to this. We've talked about this before, but there's just kind of a, there's a culture set, the virus shaming. I think, I think um, uh, Piper gets into that. Like, this is what happens. You know, if you, if you kind of object or if you do anything that would be a little out, there's this self policing. I know the president has used that word. He's like, it's been really fascinating. They've like self policed. And I'm, starting to go this isn't good this isn't you don't want where you can create this culture without actual statute and then everybody kind of marks time on that when there's actually been no order so there's ways places that has happened places that hasn't happened but so in in that sense Christians need to understand in many ways you look to the word of God and you have the authority you have God's word and so act upon God's word even if other people aren't
1: And I, I think uh this further exposes where the church has been weak. You know, I think Melville and Moby Dick talks about the, the pulpit. And he says yeah. the pulpit is the prow of the ship. You know, the pulpit leads the world. Well, that hasn't happened. We have not discipled the world. We've not discipled the United States. We have not taught this nation its rightful standing under God. We've mm-hmm. not taught the magistrates that they answer to God. We've not taught our people that and our churches and so, our failure to teach what Jesus has commanded—all the things He's commanded about how we live, how we think, how we relate—is coming home to roost now. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and it starts to it starts to follow fall apart in every direction. You know, it's like because it's a it's a whole like we've been ta- we've been trying to communicate this idea throughout this whole podcast of what you're supposed to do, why you're here, like. Here you are, like talking to a 10-year-old son, like, welcome to the world. Here's why you're here. There's a God in heaven. There is his world. You are to live in it. You are to be fruitful. You are to exercise dominion. You are to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ and teach others to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole reason you're here. That's why you do plumbing. That's why you build roads. That's why you collect garbage. That's why you teach children. That's why you do all of these things. That's why you cook food. Okay, that's such a big idea, a wonderful, glorious Christian idea that when COVID falls in the midst of this, and it's like all of that stops, like everything goes away. That's the responsibility of Christians to say, meditate upon the word of God, understand the word of God, communicate that truth to other people. Because once it starts to fall away in so many directions, it's like you could just pick on anything. Like, well, let's talk about this. And we need to, we need to address all of those things. But you've got to get the central idea you got to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ, and him is found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge.
1: Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And um, good Christians can have different takes on this, and I don't want to suggest if you're not seeing it exactly the way we're talking about, then you're just way off base. But so many of the takes that are being made today seem to not even consider what the Word says, not even trying to Uh, Think about the lordship of Christ. Does God have anything to say about how we meet? Does God have anything to say about how we respond to an executive order? Does God have anything to say about the uh, way information is fed to us from civil authorities that we are then called upon to respond to? Well, and the answer, of course, yes. And, And what God fundamentally says is we are creatures made in his image, We are obligated to represent him well in his world, and in Christ we are creatures made in his image who have been redeemed by the gospel, and we are to make that gospel known. And we do that in whatever ways he's called us, wherever he's placed us, however he's put us in this world. And if we lose that, Mm -hmm. if we lose that, then when somebody says, hey, you got to do this because otherwise you're not going to be safe, oh, Okay. But if we have that, they come and they say, "You've got to come down from this wall'll we'll say, "I'm sorry, I've got a great work to do here oh. you know I've got to do what my Lord and Savior's commanded me to do. That's crystal clear in some ways. Right now we're not dealing with it in, in such a uh, succinct, easy to recognize way, but it's the same fundamental issue. Okay. Why do we do what we do? Why do we respond the way we respond? How are we to respond to those who are speaking to us from all of these different perspectives?
0: Yeah. You know, when you, when you cast it in every one of those glorious stories, I mean, Adam took courage for him to exercise dominion. Eve could say, Adam, but but that it's a wild place out there. It, it's not been brought into order yet. Well, I know. Uh, Moses going to Pharaoh. Well, Moses, but he's a great king. I mean, he he's could kill people easily. Uh, Joshua. But we, there's a big people in the. Yeah. In that promised land, I don't know that we want to go in there. Nehemiah, you know, these people really are telling you not to build a wall. I mean, they've got the authority of the king behind them. This is a big deal. You could go. You could go down the line. There, there's always risk associated with living for Christ in the world. Right, it's always the case, and I, I really believe if Christians get that, and if we're just reminded of that, and then take an honest look at the data points, look at how many deaths there have been. Look at how many people we know have had this disease. Compare it to other diseases. Compare it to other ways of dying. Um, stay up in the main. Don't get caught in the weeds. Find those truths. Look at them honestly. And then use wisdom. Wise counsel. Counsel with others. Counsel with your pastors. Um, pastors counsel with each other. Counsel with wise family members who love the Lord and understand these principles that we've talked about. And you'll know how to get back going. But But be prepared because it's not like We've identified a lot of bad ideas. There have been a lot of bad ideas, and there have been a lot of bad moves by officials and by certain talking heads up to this point. And what I'd want to tell everybody right now—it's kind of like the middle of the game—that's not going to stop. Okay. So as they're talking about we're going down the we're going down the hump now in the at the national level and perhaps at the state level here who knows um, the the bad ideas are going to continue. And shepherds can think, "Well, if I just kind of stay in the middle of the herd, <laughs> then I'll be okay. You will not be okay. Yeah. you have been moved, we have been moved. if you're just staying in the middle of the herd right now with what the talking heads say and what everybody's saying, and okay this will, this will be a kind of a safe move you're going to find down here, okay, yep, yeah, you just lost some real ground in this race, so there does need to be a don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed
1: by the renewal of your mind, yeah, so practically speaking, you know what what should pastors do? well, we should hold our own lives lightly, loosely, and teach our people to do that too. Mm -hmm. That what God's called us to be and do here exceeds just trying to maintain and lengthen years of life on this earth. I mean, praise God for every breath he gives us, every year he gives us. We want people to have a long life. We want people to prosper in every way, uh, spiritually, physically, financially, every way. We want to see God's people blessed and prosper in his world, but there is more. Than that, And so the, the end game is not trying to be as safe as you can be or prolong things as long as possible. You want to glorify God and you can't do that if you're clinging to your life as if this is the be all and end all. So we've got to teach people to hold their lives loosely and then be willing to risk your life for the glory of God. Don't be foolish. Don't be stupid. Don't go out and try to uh, set something up that makes you look like a martyr when all you're doing is being stupid and foolish. Don't do that. But yes, whenever it comes down to fearing God or fearing people, fear God every time. You'll be delivered from the fear of people because you know that the God whom you fear is your father. He's given up his son for you. He's the God who raises the dead. So, you have every reason in the world to risk everything for his will, his glory.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today.